Hey everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 90 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. I'm really excited to have Tammy on, the owner of Refuse to Lose Coaching. Tammy, thanks so much for coming on the show with me today. Josh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to spending time with you. Absolutely. Tammy, can we start off just by you know giving people a little bit more information? Who are you? What are you focused on right now? And then really excited to dive into your backstory and, and all that fun stuff. Yes, yeah, so, um, I'm Tammy, and I am a mental game coach. I started my own company, Refuse to Lose Coaching, uh, I guess about going on 12 years ago. And what I get to do, I tell everybody I have the best job in America. I get to work with athletes, teams, coaches, parents of athletes. Um, I dive a little bit into leadership and non-athletes. But I, but I get to work with these groups and teams and individuals to help them with the intangibles. Uh, we spend so much time working on our skills that the mental part is usually the deciding part. So I, I love coming in uh, and adding that part. Very passionate about it. And again, I have the best job in America, Josh. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm super excited. I mean, for a wide variety of reasons, but the main two are, number one, um, I played a lot of sports growing up. So, you know, really interested in the topic in general. And number two, I find that there's so much overlap between the two, right? Sports and business. And especially when you look at the mental side, uh, also obviously curious about your kind of entrepreneurial journey, but really excited. So Tammy, can you take us back to maybe like the college days or, or kind of how did your career begin? Was it, were you an entrepreneur at heart from the very beginning or what, you know, what was the first phases of your professional career like? You know, I start laughing and smiling because I was thinking no when you first asked that question. But I remember back in grade school, um, my, I have a twin brother and we would set up a little lemonade stand or a watermelon stand or so, so I guess we had it going on a little bit back then, um, you know, we were, what can we do to get some money? And mm -hmm. so I guess it started then, um, through college, probably not so much and getting into coaching and it, it just kind of evolved. I don't think mm -hmm. it was ever something I set out to, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. It just kind of, you know, life just took, I went with it and that's the path right. life led me down. Right. So how, what was the first step of your career? You finished college, university, what was, your, what was your first job? Well, I always, well, again, I'm, I, I take it back and I was always teaching tennis lessons on the side. So I guess that was a little, you know, chasing the money there a little bit or, um, so my first real job, uh, that someone else was actually paying me and not just, you know, a parent paying me to babysit or dog sit or tennis lessons was in, in Tampa, Florida. And it was at the Tampa Yacht and Racquet Club. And I had just become certified to be a professional tennis coach and just loved my time there in Florida. Probably was on the court from about eight to five and uh, I knew after a few years that something needed to change if I wanted some longevity, <laughs> uh, but, but enjoyed that time. Absolutely. After that, I decided I want to go back to grad school, went back to school, taught tennis on the side. And then that led to my first coaching job at the college level, became the men and women's tennis coach at the University of South Carolina Upstate. 
Very cool. And for, for those who might be curious about the sports coaching side, what's it like breaking into sports coaching? Um, it, it can be challenging, you know, and I guess every job is, um, but very unique in that you're recruiting. It was, and I'm going to say it was unique for me. It ended up being 90% of my athletes were international. So mm-hmm. learning to recruit internationally, learning all of the NCAA rules, learning to give your boss what he wanted. And what I realized, 10% was actually spent on the court coaching. Hmm. Uh, there was just so many different uh, jobs and responsibilities. And I, I don't think people realize that. They think, oh, you just go to practice. You have so much free time. But that's about 10% of what a coach does. Jeez. So what was that What was that like uh, as, as a first-time you know, coaching experience, especially at the collegiate level? Uh, I'd love to hear just, I mean, this is pure personal curiosity as opposed to maybe like business focus, but what was that like? And then what was it that ultimately made you decide to kind of transition out? Oh, I have so many adjectives to describe what it was like. And I think I was too naive back then uh, to know really what I was getting into because uh, I was men and women. So often I would have two practices back to back but you also have two teams you're taking care of. And I wasn't much older than the athletes I was recruiting at that time. Um, So there was that just, how do I get them to listen to me? How do I set the culture that I want? You know, how are we going to be something? When I I took over, both of the teams had not won a match in several years. My first year, we did not win a single match. I think I started off what 0 and 48 for my career, um, and the athletic director when he hired me said, "I want you to be nationally ranked." This was at the Division II level, nationally ranked within three years. Well, we got there in two years, but we started at the bottom. So I think I was just so zoomed focused on I'm going to do this. Everyone told me you're crazy. That program stinks. There's no way to do it. So I, I guess my focus and drive was on proving people wrong and having this goal and getting these athletes to buy into that and being a part of it with me that I didn't really have time to stop and think, what am I doing? You know, what's right. going on here? Right. That's very interesting. I want to break it down a little bit more. Uh, two, two questions that maybe could be fielded together. Number one is, how were you able to kind of build that culture and get people that were very close to you in age to follow your direction, take orders, et cetera, et cetera? And then number two, what was it, or maybe part of your answer to the first question will be this answer, but what do you think allowed you to be able to become so successful so quickly? I do think a lot of it was my informal background with sports psychology. I loved reading books on leadership in sports. Uh, Dean Smith, the legendary coach at North Carolina, I mean, I called him my daddy. (laughs) I mean, I was reading anything that I could, and he had a great blueprint of creating culture. John Wooden, reading a lot of his stuff, Pat Summit, And I knew there was something that set these coaches apart besides their X's and O's. So I, I think having that interest really helped me start to build a foundation. 
And I hated losing. I, I could not stand to lose. But I allowed that the first year. I didn't want to sacrifice a short win here or there, but I wanted to make sure we were building a culture. Uh, so I skipped over a few players that could have helped us that year, but they weren't the players that I knew would get us down the line in the future. Uh, so I think having that mentality and not getting caught on short-term results. Um, I had to have a lot of reminders. I had reminders all over my house, on my refrigerator, you know, just long-term, keep your eye on the long-term. And, and then as I recruited these athletes, this is what I want to do. This is the picture. This is the plan. This is how I'm going to do it. If that's not what you want to be part of, then, you know, I get it. Look somewhere else. And I think that really helped weave them out. Um, you know, the challenging thing I thought would be coaching the men. And I remember asking, actually, they and they were the easiest, but I remember asking them one day, why did y'all come decide to play for me? And they said, coach, only person I've ever listened to before is my mom. So you're kind of like an extension of that. I said, okay. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with John Gordon, but I'm on the John Gordon team, and he does a lot of leadership and building culture. And one thing he talks about is love tough instead of tough love. you got to show them you love them, and then you can be tough with them. Hmm. And I didn't know John Gordon back then, but I, I had a lot of that same operating principles. They knew without a doubt I cared about them, but they also knew with that came accountability, responsibility, and we were going to work our tail off. You know, our goal was to be the most mentally and physically in shape team in the conference. Right. Very cool. And, and, and great advice. Any, maybe you, you mentioned a few coaches that you follow and, and read. Do you have maybe one or two, maybe it's tough to pick, but one or two of those books that you would recommend as like a good starting point if somebody you know, likes what they're hearing from you and they're like, yeah, I, I could use some of those, you know, reading materials. You you can't go wrong with those three. You know, Pat Summit, Dean Smith, The Carolina Way. Um, and each chapter, at the end of the chapter, he actually has like how you could apply it to business. Uh, so I, I thought that was, you know, a pretty key one. Um, you, you know, those coaches are great. And like I mentioned, John Gordon, he has the power of positive leadership that, is wonderful for any business organization. So off the top of my head, I would throw those out. Got it. I'm going to have to take a look. Uh, that's great, Tammy. So you continue on coaching. How did it go? How long did you end up coaching in that position for? And then what was it that led you to the next position? Or at, at what point did well, you end up as I mentioned, your we were Okay, I'm, so, I'm sorry. No problem. Um, we were a small division two school at first. So with that came many hats, mm -hmm. um, you know, along the way I had to do concessions. I ended up being assistant compliance while coaching compliance being the one that, you know, all the rules for the teams. And so I thought, well, maybe I want to get into administration. So slowly the athletic director started giving me more opportunities and more admin work. And that led to associate athletic director like the second highest behind the coach. At that same time, we transitioned to division one, the highest level. And so we decided that maybe for a year, I wouldn't coach and just work on administration. And I had one of my players take over. Um, 
then I ended up coming back as director of tennis and kind of overseeing everything. So that whole evolution of many hats, many roles, keeping my hands in tennis lasted for 13 years. Oh, wow. And then what ultimately kind of gave you the push towards uh, starting your current company? How did that come about? Well, I was always fascinated with the mental game. And, you know, when I was an athlete, there wasn't this organized sports psychology, really dating myself there, but there were no <laughs> books. You know, there was nothing online. There wasn't any, there wasn't online at that time. Um, but I knew there was something to having confidence, being mentally tough, being able to come through over adversity. And I was never the quickest, tallest, strongest, best athlete, but I had success because of my mind and always being in the best shape I could. Um, so I knew there was something that interested me there. And I would just randomly throw pieces out to my players or, you know, with the internet, would Google and, oh yeah, hey, this will help you guys with your confidence or with our mental toughness. Again, never anything organized, but I knew this like resonated with me. And I was at a conference one day and met Dr. Patrick Cohn, who was one of the leading sports psychologists. Um, he's kind of one of the forefront runners. And he's, I was just fascinated with what he was saying and he does a certification. And so I thought, well, that can only strengthen me as a coach, but it also might be an exit strategy. Most coaches, have an exit strategy, what they're going to do after coaching, when they're tired of coaching, when they're done. And so I thought, well, I'll start planning on that right now and let this help my athletes. Um, really fell in love with it, started volunteering with other teams at our university and helping them develop a mental game. And uh, just was like, okay, let's, let, let's try it. Awesome. Can you give us maybe a primer on sports psychology, especially for some of our listeners who might be, you know, entrepreneurs or, or entrepreneurs who are more thinking about the, the business and, you know, maybe business tactics and stuff like that. Could you give us an intro or a primer? Like what is sports psychology and maybe some of the basic principles, if, if there are any? Um, sure. And sports psychology, again, is everything non-related to the physical skills. It's your mindset when, for business people, your mindset when you have that big meeting or trying to close that big sale. Um, what that encompasses, and I, I lay this out in The Confident Athlete, and it's, that, that's my first book, and it says the athlete, but this applies to anything. Business person, I even say it replies, applies to relationships, but it starts with our self-talk. And teaching those under us how to have positive or productive self-talk. Um, I don't believe everything's positive. You know, you have a lot of gurus out there, be positive, be positive. And that's fine, but sometimes things aren't good. Mm -hmm. But if we can change it to a productive comment instead of, idiot, why did you do that? You know, beating ourselves down. Um, so self-talk is one of the big key words in sports psychology. Um, body language. How we carry ourselves sends a strong message to ourselves and to others. Um, visualization, you know, just taking time to use all of your sen senses to create a clear picture of how you want something to go. Uh, so again, you know, a great technique for business to use 
you know, seeing yourself before that presentation, running through it in your mind. It's just kind of a, a dry run in your mind. Um, mm-hmm. Studies show that every time we visualize something or every three times we do, it equals one time physically doing it. Wow. Uh, so that's great practice for, you know, I, I was talking to a young guy, I work with him in sports, but he said, hey, can I ask you about asking this girl out? And we, I actually had him do that and play it in his mind over and over. And the, the feedback was at work there, too. Yeah. So, uh, just a little aside, but I thought that was cute. That's very, um, very cool. Yeah, I mean, the the yeah. the way business and, and uh, sports and relationships are all kind of intertwined and almost like circling around this psychology, it, it almost like sits in the middle of everything we do, right? Even beyond those three spheres. Uh, so that's really great to hear. So Tammy, when you decided that you were you know, ready to start this business, how did you go about doing it? Did you kind of you know, quit the coaching and, and, and collegiate type jobs one day and start a business the next day? Take us through the process of how that actually went. Well, you know, luckily I had been doing some work, uh, again, voluntarily for teams at the university. Uh, so several of them were my first clients. And then I just started evolving, um, you know, with the tennis players. I had a good reputation, a good following of, in the tennis world. And so that led to some clients. And then word of mouth, uh, social media, never really advertised, but putting the word out on social media and just keeping in contact with as many coaches. Um, I look back. Actually, somebody asked me this the other day, and I look back, coaches and athletes at Upstate, where I coached and was administrator, make up about 75% of my clientele. Um, Because those athletes that I work with are now coaches, or they've shared it with someone else. So I, I think in hindsight, I didn't, again, really know what I was doing, but building and maintaining relationships was probably the biggest strength and key for me to have success. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's really like any other service-based business. I mean, that's <laughs> what it is, right? It's a service business. And can you tell us, Tammy, a little bit about what what were you offering? Like, what, what are your services? Do you work one-on-one with specific athletes? Do you get hired by a coach to help with the whole team or, or a whole you know, division at the college or a combination of both. I'm really interested in hearing your, you know, products or services and also how you came up with them or, or, or did you just kind of go to go to clients and say, hey, I can help and figure it out along the way? Um, early on, I had kind of this is what I offer. This is the price. And then I had to throw that out the window. Um, every team, every individual is so different. Um, so now I kind of have some packages or suggested packages, but I always tell athletes or teams, but you tell me what you need. I'm just giving you some ideas here. Um, I work with athletes one-on-one. I work with coaches one-on-one. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the coach wants me just to work with them. So then they take it to their team. Uh, sometimes coaches ask me to come in and work with their team. Uh, that might be a one-time session. That might be once a week. Uh, there are several teams I keep year-round, and it's just pretty much like on call or as needed. Um, and I feel like I'm part of the coaching staff, really, of those teams, um, which I love. 
I do workshops, I do keynote speak, you know, speaking. So it's kind of just, uh, you know, I think I continue going back to this, but it's just evolved and letting it and trusting it. I think the first year I was like, oh, where's my next job going to come from? And I had a good, great friend. He said, Tim, you're good at this. Just trust it and the next job will, will come. And so I try to spend the majority of my energy on what can I do to get better instead of the worry of, you know, where is that job going to come from? Got it. Yeah, that's that's great advice. I mean, for anybody starting any business, uh, Tammy, you talked about the importance of kind of building relationships and social media and stuff like that. For someone who's new or, or maybe recently started a service business of their own, what would you recommend? What's worked really well for you? Do, you? do you have a specific social media platform or, you know, networking events or, you know, what, what are kind of the two or three things maybe that have that have worked the best for you in drumming up maybe some of those first clients or even something now that's been working really well? I think engagement, uh, reaching out on social media to similar people in your area. Um, you know, someone that maybe seems like they have this humongous following, reaching out, you know, directly, hey, I'd like to pick your brain. And it's amazing how many people are willing to help if you reach out for that help. Um, you know, retweeting what someone with a large following has, if, if it's good content, mm -hmm. um, you know, responding to that. Just engagement, I think, is, is the most important thing on social media. Um, Recently, I was challenged by a friend to start more Facebook groups, and that has been overwhelming. I have a Parents in the Mental Game Facebook group that I just provide information on how parents can help their child. Hmm. And that's really drummed up a lot of business and interest and involvement and engagement. Very cool. And so if somebody wanted to start their own, how do you recommend, like, what was your strategy there? How did you start the group? And probably most importantly, how did you build up a, a big audience or a big enough audience in the group? Offering to do things free. Yeah. Offering how many podcasts can you get on for free? Webinars. Um, you know, for that particular group, I offered a free service for a um athletic recruiting service that has thousands and thousands of athletes all over the world. And, you know, once I did that, I provided, I had also a listserv so people could sign up to get a monthly newsletter. That's very important as well mm -hmm. um, for them to sign up for that, for their parents to join up for this group. And the night after that, it was, I think, I don't know, 600, 700 new followers and new oh, emails. Wow. So, you know, I can't say it's always going to work that easily. That was an amazing group and obviously very dedicated to what they're doing. But I, I think just talking and interacting and, and giving free services. Um, this isn't really social media, but when I first started with the mental game coaching, I would ask a local coach, hey, let me come in 15, 20 minutes before practice and do a quick free session for you. You know, once I did that, then the, the feedback or the return rate of getting them as a client was pretty high as well. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. In, you know, again, this comes from John Gordon. He's been a great mentor of mine. And I think he said he did 150. I might be misquoting the numbers a little bit, but at least 100 
free talks before he got paid for a, a speech, a keynote speech. And so you have to do the free work. And to me, that's kind of in place of the advertisement. You know, I've never paid a penny for advertisement, but I'm paying in my time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the great thing about it is, again, every time you do something, you're making a new connection. And that might not lead to a client, but it leads to growth in your life. Because, you know, we can always learn from everyone we come into contact with. Absolutely. And you're getting in those reps too, right? Like, you know, going to those coaches, you know, giving those free sessions. If you, the way you you explain it and just, you know, thinking about it in my head, it makes so much more sense than paying for Facebook ads or paying for, you know, you can pay with money to do some advertising, but doing it with your time, like you said, I mean, you're honing your craft at the same time and you're building those personal connections. So that's that's so valuable. It's it's such good advice, Tammy. Can you? I, I want to go a little bit deeper into the you know the sports psychology and maybe some tips for athletes and business people. Before we get into that for a few minutes, my last kind of more businessy focused question is: If you had to start all over again, or if you you know you have someone sitting in front of you, they're about to start their own coaching, consulting, any type of business. What are one or two things you would tell them, kind of like the 80-20, like one or two tips that you think can get them or the previous you the most success as quickly as possible? Connect. Just, you know, I I think that's the most important thing is connect and be in person as much as as possible. You're selling yourself. Entrepreneurs have to sell themselves. So Mm -hmm. the more you're out in front of people, then the stronger the likelihood of gaining them as clients or getting their business. Um, so definitely connect and build relationships. You know, I think it's important not to look at every person as a potential client. It's a relationship that can lead to maybe someone else that is. It's a late relationship that you may learn something from. Um, so I, I think that's the most important thing is just connect, look you know, talk to people, look for ways to to show people who you are, what you stand for. Um, mm-hmm. The second piece of advice is it sounds kind of cheesy, probably heard it before, but be OK with failing. Um, you, you know, I think that's where I've had the most success in the long run. Um, I've made a lot of bad decisions are incorrect decisions, I guess you could say, but I wouldn't change any of them because they all led me to learning more or learning something better that I could then apply. Mm -hmm. Um, I I have a motto, I actually read another book about it, but it's, this is good. And the whole idea is when something bad happens, if you can mentally stay alive long enough to find that this is good, then you're probably going to be rewarded for it down the line. And and so I think that's important as you're starting your business, be okay with failing. Now don't go look to intentionally fail, but be okay with failing and then learning the lesson and how you're going to use it to get better. But too often I hear, especially younger, you know, people starting off in business that, Oh, well, what if, what if this happens? What if I fail? What if I don't, well, what if something good happens? I like to change the what if to an excitement what if. And mm-hmm. uh, if not, you're going to learn something from it. Yeah, it's great advice. It actually makes me think of, uh, I, I don't know if you follow uh, Jocko Willink at all. He's a, he's a Navy SEAL. 
or former Navy SEAL and now kind of like a, you know, mental toughness, uh, you know, type guy. Great podcast as well. And there's like a sound bite that's really cool where he's basically saying the same thing, right? You know, even if bad things happen, good, you know, and, and he gives you, you know, like all these, you know, the mission was paused. Good. Gives us more time to train. You got injured. Good. Now you can go build up your whatever, whatever. So it just makes me think of that. And it's, it's such good advice. Tammy, let's spend the last few minutes talking about sports psychology. Like when, when you are brought in by a team or when you go to give a speech or, or, you know, a talk or anything to a team, what's kind of the main goal or, or what are you trying to really, you know, what's the first message or first few lessons that you're trying to share with them? Or does it, does it depend? Like, what do you do when you go in to talk to a team for the first time? It depends. And that's usually I've had, you know, several, if I'm going in with a team, I've had several Mm -hmm. discussions with the coach, like, okay, what are you looking for? What is, what do you hope is the end result for this? Um, Sometimes even we'll do a written assessment for the athletes with some questions, just trying to get their insight. And then I kind of make a game plan. Um, You know, if it's a one-time talk, just going in for a talk, then, I have several topics like confidence or staying in the present moment, you know, learning how to stay in the present moment or teamwork, team unity. So, you know, I have my topics, but I like to spend that time on the front end and figuring out how I can best help that athlete, that team, you know, with athletes I do the same. Um, I usually require a package of four sessions because it's not a quick fix and we're retraining the brain how to think and operate in a more effective way. So, you know, I like to require the package at first, but the first one before we start the package is free and that we spend at least 20, 30 minutes of, first of all, establishing relationship, making sure they're comfortable talking to me. And second, giving me a better chance to understand how I can best help them. Got it. Is there maybe one or two kind of common problems or themes that you often see teams struggling with that they bring you in to help for? And, and if so, what are some ways, you know, to, to get through them or over them? Well, definitely confidence or lack of confidence. Um, roller coaster confidence is what I say. We're confident when everything's going well and then something goes bad or you know we lose that cell in the business world boom we come down oh we got one we're up mm-hmm. and so trying to help athletes and teams get off of that roller coaster and start to own their confidence and not having it based off of a result you know that leads me into probably what i would say the second hot topic and that is not sacrificing your long-term goals for that short-term victory. And I think I mentioned that early on, but that's what you see that so much. And and I think social media has created that. I think our society, we just, we want results immediate, instantly. Mm -hmm. You know, we we get on the internet, we want our page to pull up in two seconds. We don't want to wait. And and that's trickled into business. It's trickled into sports. And so really getting them to identify why they do what they do and where they're going with that. Your why and your where, having a really good understanding of that. 
And so trying to make sure, giving them tips, techniques of staying true and aligned to that. Um, and, and I'll give you a quick example that I struggled with this year when COVID broke out. I guess this was back in March of last year. I had done very, very few Zooms. I like to be in person, move mm-hmm. around, use my hands, had not done that many Zooms, webinars or anything. And all of a sudden I can't interact. And I had a little pitiful me moment, you know, and again, luckily had another friend, hey, what's your why? And my why is very simple. It's to make a difference in as many athletes' lives as possible by building relationships. And I repeated that back and he was like, oh, sounds like you've got a good opportunity to do that. Can't, aren't you going to be able to reach more athletes and them hear their messages with Zooms and podcasts and all this? And I was like, okay, you're right. You're right. And it helped me get back aligned mm-hmm. to, uh, to my why. But that happens in business and that happens on the playing field. We say what, why we're doing what we're doing, but then we let our emotions or frustrations get in the way when in that moment something doesn't happen that we want even though it not not be our long-term goal. That got a little wordy, but I think you're following me there. No, absolutely. And I could relate to a lot of what you're saying. I mean, especially kind of the the patience or lack thereof and and the confidence kind of flying around based off of the, you know, results that you might be, may or may not be seeing week in and week out. Can I ask you about that, Tammy? So somebody who is, uh, you know, as exactly as you explained, confidence basically roller coasting based off you know maybe key metrics of a company or something like that. What's a way to you know stay grounded or or maintain a more level level of confidence or maybe just a more level set of emotions day to day? Well, with confidence, it goes to four steps, and I've I've shared three of them. Confidence can be built by what you say, do, and think every day and consistently what you do with those. So it's your self-talk and learning to make it positive and productive. So again, a loss doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily bad. It's what's productive in this loss. Mm-hmm. And then your body language, it's the best teammate of your self-talk. I tell you know teams it goes hand in hand. If I get big and have strong, confident body language, it sends messages to my brain to be confident. If I'm telling myself to to have strong body language, then it gets me confident. So they go hand in hand. And you can create any emotion you want with those two things. It's an activity I just will challenge people to try. I usually pull out a $50, well, not a $50 bill, $20 bill. Tell them it's a $100 bill if, if they need it to be. But could they cry on demand for that? Very rarely, unless you get some macho man that doesn't want to cry, do they say they couldn't. Um, most of us could cry for $100, and we would do it by sad thoughts and with our body language, maybe you know, pout and getting in a sad hmm. position. Um, on the flip side, if they've had a bad day, I would ask them, for $100, could you get into a good mood? Of course, that's a little easier, but they would do the same thing. So you can create any emotion, any mood you want with your body language and your self-talk. But I think too often we just go with how we're feeling and we add fuel to that fire. If it's a good mood, great, then it's going to be a great day. But if it's bad, then just chop that up to a loss that day. So those two are my 
two biggest things. I think then you add the visualization, adding those images of you, the confident person. Uh, that's an activity I usually have athletes do, describe in as much detail what you look like when you're at your best. And then I want them to read that before competitions. A business guy could do the same thing, what he looks like at his best, and then read that before a big presentation or meeting. And then the fourth phase of the confidence is preparation. It's really hard to be confident if you haven't put in the work. And mm -hmm. that's the physical work, but it's also the mental work and the emotional work, taking care of your emotions and whatever technical or equipment related, having all that ready too. When you have your supplies, your equipment, your computer, whatever it may be ready, instead of fumbling around at the last minute, you're just, everything's taken care of. So all you have to do is show up and perform. Absolutely. And so those are the four things that I've, I've built a lot of activities and making sure that getting athletes, coaches, uh, to try to implement them and apply them. Uh, the last thing I'll add on confidence and I was so guilty of this for so many years. And that was telling people to be confident. And that's probably the worst thing that we can do. Hmm. Um, you know, I had an athlete say, I hear you telling me to be, but it's not like I'm not trying to be. And it just created more frustration and anxiety. So what I've learned now is give them one thing that will help them be confident instead of saying be confident. That's all. Uh, that's really great, uh, Tammy. Really great. Again, both for sports and for business and for so many other areas of life, I, I could absolutely see it apply so well. This has been really great, Tammy. Just last couple of questions. What was it that motivated you to write your book? And, and can you tell us a little bit more about that? <laughs> um, that's a long story. I'll try to make it short. <laughs> okay. but... Um, writing was the, I did not have a lot of confidence in my writing in high school. Um, I made very good grades, but if it was something right, written, I would get back great material, but a C or a D on your writing. Uh, grammar, punctuation, just the way I wrote was awful. And I remember one time in my senior English class, I, I was like, I'm going to knock this book report out of the water. And I spent so much time on it, and I knew it was good. Turned it in, got it back with a big red F on it. And it said, too good to be yours. And so it just wow. kind of like fed that self-fulfilling prophecy that I couldn't write. And so I started the mental coaching, would go to talk. Coaches would say, hey, we need something written that we can hang on to, or you need to write a book. No, I don't write. Don't write. It was just my easy way of staying in my comfort zone. I had a coach challenge me, huh, you tell us to get out of our comfort zone, but you're not. I don't know if I want you to be my mental game coach then. I thought, okay, fair enough. <laughs> and so I thought, I'm going to do it. And uh, so the, the main reason I wrote the book was to kind of like just cut that chain, that self-fulfilling prophecy that I had that I couldn't write. And then the second reason was to help those young athletes get off that roller coaster sooner than I did. Uh, so that, that was the main reason. And I enjoyed the process and ended up doing a journal after that. Last year, put out my third book and currently in the middle of a children's book and have two other books on the way. So uh, somehow that high school kid that couldn't write is starting to enjoy writing now. 
Awesome. It's, it's funny how that works, right, uh, Tammy? <laughs> but anyways, I, I wanted to thank you again for coming on the show. This has been extremely informative, and uh, we'd love to hear if anybody is interested in you know checking out your books or learning more about you or your services, where should they go to find you? You can go to my website. That's r2lc.com. I'm on social media. Uh, Twitter probably is the most active I'm on, and that's at R2L Coaching. Um, and then uh, the books are on Amazon. Uh, this is good, The Confident Athlete, The Confidence Journal. Um, so, yeah, follow me. I love to interact. Awesome. We've heard it a few times this show, so we know that uh, she definitely practices what she preaches. Thanks again, Tammy, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Josh. I enjoyed it. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you want to join the Solopreneur Grind community, we recently started a Slack group for other like-minded solopreneurs who are starting or thinking about starting or are already well on their way to working on their own businesses. Doesn't matter the size. Make sure to check us out at solopreneurgrind.com slash join if you want to join this group. We're constantly sharing ideas, bouncing ideas off of one another, helping each other out in all areas of business and life and all that sort of stuff. Make sure to check it out, solopreneurgrind.com slash join, solopreneurgrind.com slash join. Take care and thanks very much for listening.